Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible this morning, you may find your way to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus, the 14th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the table in back. Please take one. Blue, black, I have no idea what color they are, but they're back there. Please take one and use it, give it away, keep it, whatever you need to do. Happy to give you a copy of God's Word today. Exodus chapter 14. We've been journeying through Exodus for quite some time. It will relieve those who painstakingly follow along as I teach through the Bible to know that by, Lord willing, the end of this hour today, we will be on the other side of the Red Sea. Praise God. After all that God has done to deliver his people, all the plagues, the Passover meal, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, after bringing them out of the wilderness and into, out of Egypt and into the wilderness, en route to the mountain where they will serve him, After bringing them to this very place that we find them this morning, trapped against the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army pursuing to capture, destroy, pursuing them, not for good, for harm. We have seen God over and over again and again act and move on behalf of his people. The exodus from Egypt reaches a climax in chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. God delivers, redeems, dwells with his people, and they will see, as we've examined the last several weeks, verse 13, they will see their oppressor and their enemy no more. I would have you recall, I've kept the theme out in front of us as we've been several weeks in this chapter. The overall theme of this chapter is that God will get glory over his enemies. His people will see it. God will be glorified. I'd have you recall, this is important, that in this exact moment, Israel is pinned. They are afraid. They have lamented. They have been thankless. They are despairing and Pharaoh's army is coming down on them and they have no idea what is about to happen to them, for them. Exodus chapter 15, would you follow along as we read verses 15 through 31. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. Over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, And his horsemen. 
Then the angel of the Lord was going before, who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you, I, and in a moment of great need, your help to convey any bit of your truth to those here gathered. Father, help me. I pray that as we examine your word, as we look at this momentous scene in the history of your people. Father, that you would illuminate our eyes, enlighten our eyes to what it means for us this day in this life right now. Father, may we learn. I pray, Father, that as your word is examined, Father, that the sinner would be called to repentance and salvation. I pray, Lord, that as we examine this text, the holiness of your people would be promoted and that we would be holy as you are holy. I pray, Father, as we examine your word, that Christ the Savior would be exalted above and over all. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I titled the sermon this morning, Israel Saw and Believed. Through this text of scripture today, I have this aim. That we, here gathered, would have a greater faith without sight because of those who believed what they saw that we may have a greater faith without sight 
that we may deepen our confidence, our hope, our belief in every word and promise of God, that we may deepen in our resolve to hold to the word of God by faith because of those who saw with their own eyes the power and majesty of God working for them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, all these things happened to them, but they were written down for us that we may learn from them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, all these things happened to them. And in that chapter, Paul talks about the Israelite people passing through the water. He's talking about the Red Sea crossing. All these things happened to them, but were written down for us to learn from. The first thing I want you to note, verse 15, look at what it says. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Now we've examined over several weeks what happened here. They leave Egypt triumphantly, defiantly. Pharaoh comes to his mind, we're going after them. They're not going anywhere. Get everyone and let's pursue them. They do. Israel is afraid. They cry out to Moses, what have you done for us? What good is this? It was better we told you to leave us alone. It was better that we die in Egypt, that we serve the Egyptians, than here in the wilderness. They are giving up. Moses responds to them, verse 13, fear not. I want you to pay attention. Remember how I've told you before, words matter. Look what he says. Fear not. Look, stand firm. That's important here in just a moment. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. We've examined that text ad nauseum, and this morning we come into verse 15, and the Lord says, why are you crying to me? So we have in the page of Scripture a moment where the people cry to Moses, and the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? What can we draw between those two points that helps us? Moses, in his moment of panic cried out to the Lord. Moses called out to God, and God responds with, why do you cry to me? Look what he says. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, not to stand firm. Stay here and see God move. Settle down. And God says, why are you crying to me? Move forward. It's interesting to note, I have conversations with so many people. And and I myself, I'll have to pray about that. I need to pray about that. I'll give that some consideration in prayer. I will seek the Lord in my life through prayer about that. Listen, has God told you to have a prayer meeting or has God told you to act? When God gives direction, it's the wrong time for a prayer meeting. God spoke. We don't pray to understand God's direction when God says, "Why why are you crying to me? Go forward. Moses, I can, I can only imagine, I can't imagine his prayer to God. Lord, need some help here. Amen. I want to show you this morning. God proclaims the way. God provides the way. God protects the way. And his people see it and believe and give him glory. God proclaims the way. What is the way for them? That they would go through on dry ground. Did you notice it? It happens in verse, I wrote them down so I didn't have to try and track them all down, 16, 21, 22, and 29. What is the way provided for Israel? 16, on dry ground. Verse 21, dry land. Verse 22, on dry ground. Verse 29, on dry ground. What are we going to do? 
Moses, how's God going to get us out of here? I don't know, but it's going to involve dry land. Don't worry about the water. We're going through something somehow on dry ground. It's dry land. What is the way? It is dry ground, not the muck, not the mire. Any one of us thinking about walking across Lake Michigan or like that's not possible. We can't do that. And even if we could, all the silt, all the sediment, the depth that you descend down into, like that's not possible. No, we're not talking about those things, Israel. You're going to walk through on dry ground. I will make the way accessible for you. After calling out to the Lord, what do we do? God says, tell the people to go forward. Remember what I reminded you of as we examined the plagues? I'm delivering you and you're never going back. In the moment, Israel has to be afraid that they're going to be pursued to the point of capture and they're going to be returned to Egypt. No, you're never going back there. Look what God says. I, I noted, I didn't write it down because it's so poignant. I, I, just, I can see it and I wanted to point out the way that Moses records this progression of events is so fascinating. Follow it. Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, 16, lift up your staff. Then the angel of God moved between them. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand and the waters were divided. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand that the water may come back. Verse 27, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and it came back on them. Verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel. That's the whole progression of 15 through 31. The Lord said to Moses, God moves. Moses acts in obedience to God. God moves. God speaks, Moses acts, God moves, Israel is saved. Lift up your staff. Recall that this staff is a symbol, an image of God's power. Recall that it has been with them since the mountain where God called Moses. What did Moses say in that mountaintop experience? They'll never listen to me. They'll never believe me. I can't go to them because they're not going to care. And what did God say to him in that moment? What's in your hand? It's a stick. It's a staff. I'm a shepherd. And what did God say to him? Throw it down. And it becomes a serpent. He says, pick it up. He picks it up. Moses, he hides. The Bible says he was afraid and he ran away. Pick it back up. He picks it back up. It becomes a staff again. And God says, Go with these powers, with these signs that I am giving to you and do these and the people are going to listen to you. And at the end of Exodus chapter 4, Moses goes, he and Aaron speak everything that God has told them to do. Show the, uh, the, the power, the, the sign of God's authority on them to do these things. And the end of Exodus chapter 4 says that the people believed God and worshipped because they saw Lift up your staff. This account, sometimes I think we lose it. How, how many people, just, uh, how many people are familiar with the story that God divided the Red Sea and the Israelites passed through it and then God crushed the Egyptians with, you've, you've, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. We, we've, we've heard this story, many of us. There are people that are not in church this morning that have heard this story. They've watched the Ten Commandments. They've watched renditions. They've watched the Prince of Egypt. 
this is out there in the world. I think that because of its broad popularity, we forget that what we are reading is a first-hand account. The author, Moses, watched the sea part. And the author, Moses, walked through the midst of the sea on dry ground. This is not just a storyteller. He could easily write, and then God said to me, lift up your staff. And then God said to me, stretch out your hand. And then I did, and the wind started blowing. And the wind started blowing, and I was like, what do we do? Go forward, it's dry. And I was like, okay, we're going this way. It's dry. Like Moses is telling the story to us. This is a first-hand, first-person account. I think we lose sight of that. Did you know this is a, it's one of because, of, because of the magnitude of what God does here. Two thoughts. One, I've become convinced in my study of this portion of scripture that outside of the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is not a greater narrative in all of the Bible than the Red Sea Crossing. I've become convinced of that, just if you're wondering, hey, where's your pastor stand on the Red Sea Crossing? He thinks that next to the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like the craziest and greatest thing that happens in all the Bible. True. That's a true statement that you could say about me. It is disputed to no end. You know why? Because it happened some, I don't know, 5,000, 6,000, 8,000 years ago. How long ago did it happen? Like 1500 B.C.-ish. It's 2,000, so we're like 4,000, 5,000 years deep now. Do you know what happens to bodies of water over time? They change. They change. People dispute, this never happened, where did it happen? If you were to look up your maps in the back of your Bible, you would see that, did they even, you might question, did they even cross? Where did they cross? This couldn't have happened, it never happened. It could have happened, it's just so disputed. Listen, if things in the Bible didn't happen, we as Christians, we start to lose our footing. We accept God's word as preserved by God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, coming down to us as written by Moses, faithfully translated it in our hand today. We trust that. Why? By faith. I pray that our faith increases today because of those who saw what God did. Such dispute. I was reading a commentary, one that I have used often in this study, and the commentary noted that there was a scientist and an atmospheric something or other guy who probably has a lot of degrees and is super smart. And they have determined that the, a certain direction, look what it says here, a strong wind from the east all night. They've determined that if a sustained power of wind blew at a specific direction for an extended period of time, it could, pay very careful attention, cause the waters to recede and to dissipate from their normal level to a lesser level, making it possible for the crossing of the Red Sea. We trust the Bible is God's word. Moses does not tell us what he saw as a receding or as a dissipation of the floodwaters. He does not say they just kind of went, the level went down. What does he say? Moses says, God divided the waters and made the water to stand up like a wall on the right and on the left. So big was this point that he made it twice, verse 22 and verse 29. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall 
on their right and on their left-hand side. And so now, unfortunately, we've all been tainted by the great movie motion picture of the Ten Commandments, and we're picturing all the people going down into these mountains of, listen, we don't know how much it was. We know that it was a wall. And I want to give you confidence in knowing that whatever they went through and however high it was, it was out there like this. Why? Because Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. One. Two, Moses gives us the precise detail of the building of Noah's Ark. Down to calculable measurements. One, Moses, writing Exodus, gives us the precise measurements for the Ark of the Covenant. Where would become, as we will learn, the place where God dwells with his people. Precise measurements. Exodus chapter 25. Into Exodus chapter 26 and 27, all of a sudden, Moses is giving us from God, because of a pattern, Hebrew says, that he saw on the mountain, the precise measurements of the tabernacle. The precise basin, tools, candlesticks. When Moses says wall here, He's thinking like an architect and talking about, we walked through and the water was like a wall. This is not just a figure of speech. God divided the water. He made it stand up. He dried the ground. They went through. God is exerting his power. Here's the great picture. This isn't about walls and architects and Moses and all he wrote. The Lord God in a miracle of divine proportion that we cannot conceive, is exerting his power to save his people. It's no hard thing for the creator of all creation to take the water and do this. And dry the ground off. That's not difficult for God. Why is he doing it? Two reasons, I think. Three. One, to get glory. He told us so. God is a God who will be glorified. Why? Well, because he's the creator of all things, and nothing exists without him having made it. And when you have that position, you get glory. And you're not wrong to want that glory. He will not share it. God said to Pharaoh, you'll remember in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power I have that underlined back there. Show you my power. Why? So that, the, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And in this movement, God's making his name known in all the earth. This is precisely what's happening here. I'm going to draw the picture so you can see these links and understand. More than just the sea parting and the Israelites passing through is happening in this moment. It's no hard thing for God to part the water, that he will be glorified, that his name will be made known, that his people will be delivered and redeemed by his power, that his enemies will be crushed under the weight of the waves. For this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power. I'm going to tell you right now, when Pharaoh saw those waters part, he was seeing the power of God. And maybe he thought, maybe the pursuit was because he thought, well, our magicians have kind of copied things, let's go after them. He saw the power of God. Then, when the people of Israel come into the promised land, let's take a look at it together. Joshua chapter 2. What's happening? God is achieving glory. He's delivering and redeeming his people. He is making his name known. He's showing his power to Pharaoh. 
The Israelites, after many years, come to the promised land to enter it in Joshua chapter 2 and 3. And the first person they meet is Rahab, the prostitute, who says, Exodus chapter, or I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. She said to the men, two spies spying out Jericho, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and, the, and, all, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Look at verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord, I've raised you up for this purpose, that my name may be known in all the earth. And here they come into this strange land and the first person they meet says, I know that the Lord dried up the water before you and you came out of Egypt. Do you know that not only does that happen right there in chapter 2, verse 9, it happens again in chapter 4 of Joshua. It happens again in chapter 9 of Joshua. This is a different author than Moses. If Moses is writing this, we've got a little bit of a bone to pick with. Moses is just telling this story, but this is Joshua. Moses is dead. Joshua is now proclaiming, they said to us, we know that God did this. Four times in the Psalms, the Israelites crossing on dry ground is mentioned. Once in Isaiah, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, all passed through the sea. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29, by faith the people of Israel crossed as on dry land. The crossing of the Red Sea by the people of Israel is big news in the history of God's people. They saw it happen. They saw the power of God. God proclaimed a way for the people. I want you to think. You're an Israelite person standing on the side of the Red Sea, trapped against it. You've been in Egypt for who knows how long. Your kids were born slaves in Egypt, but now you're free. You're standing there, and here comes the Egyptian army, and you're trapped, and all of a sudden, the waters open up, and Moses is saying to you, walk through on dry ground. God is saying to his people, go this way. Go this way. I've opened the waters. I've dried the ground. Go. Listen. This unbelievable, miraculous way. This way that when you tell people about it, they're going to go, no way. Couldn't happen. When your ancestors in the year 2023 start talking about the power of God in their life, and they say, no, go this way. People are going to say to them, never happened. This unbelievable, miraculous way, go this way, God proclaims the way. Moses, reach out your hand, divide the sea, the people are going to pass through the midst of the sea on dry ground. God doesn't only proclaim the way, God provides the way. If God told them to go through the sea on dry ground and never parted the sea and never gave them dry ground, what good would his word to Moses have been? However, God proclaimed the way and then God provides the way. But we still have to contend with, hang on a second, Lord, the Egyptians still. So in verse 19 and 20, then the angel of the Lord moves from before them. Remember, since they left Egypt, they're following. And now it's behind. What is God doing? Listen, for those historians, those battlefield tacticians, those students of army maneuvering and wars and battles, we serve the greatest battlefield commander of all time. 
And as this is unfolding, what does God do? He takes that cloud, says cloud and fire, verse 24, and he moves it to what? To intercept. You're not getting to my people. They're my people. I'm protecting them. You're not getting to them. And he moves to intercept and to block the Egyptians. And it happens all night long. Like, I mean, I do kind of like the scene in the Ten Commandments where the fire all of a sudden is like right in front of Pharaoh's chariots. It's like, oh, and the horse like, oh, and he's like, get through it. And they're like, we can't get through it. It's fire. God, the greatest battlefield tactician ever. You're not, getting, you're not getting to my people. I want you to understand something. People of God, those faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ, the enemy's not getting to you. God protects his own. God put, Job teaches us this. Satan himself says to God, does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him? Listen, your life being spared isn't chance. Bad things not happening to you isn't chance. The Lord, our God, is a warrior. And he is protecting and defending and keeping his own. There's a movie I love. Shocker. Uh, And it's kind of an allegory to biblical things, kind of. And there's this big battle scene that's going to happen with this great big enemy army. And they're going to storm down. They're going to attack this castle. And the king of the land looks at another little hot shot in the thing. And he says to him, no one needs to tell me how to defend my keep. Listen, this is God saying, watch me, protect my own. No one needs to help me. The people of Israel can do nothing. God has given Moses the sign of what's going to happen, but even in that, Moses does nothing except... Like, I mean, go home and try that in the puddle in your yard later. He does this, and what happens? And the Lord caused, look at verse 22, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong wind. Moses is saying, I did nothing. I took the staff in my hand and held it up over the water, and that's all I did. You know how many times I've taken a staff in my hand and raised it up and nothing's happened? But God drove back the water. He provides the way. In this movement of the angel moving to intercept, We see what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 91, verse 11. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Listen, angelology is a real thing. We don't study correctly the use and employment of angels in the Bible. Angelology, the study of angels. There's also demonology, the study of demons. God's word talks about both of them, and we're so scared to talk about them, I don't know why. But do you know what? We put a little too much and wrong emphasis on them. Oh, my, my, my angels, my guardians, my, my protectors. No, 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 no. No, no, no. They are agents of the protector. God is protecting you. God is dispatching his angels. God dispatched the angel of cloud and fire to move between the Israelites and the Egyptians. God is preserving. He commands his angels, and his angels act on his word and and by his power. They're not independent agents of power preserving you. They're under authority. This is why the Bible says that in heaven we are like them, but we are greater than them. Oh, it's good stuff. Psalm 121, verse 3, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The sons of Korah, 
Psalm, 80, Psalm 46, they sang this song. God is a very present help in trouble. Right there, in trouble, and he's there with them. He provides the way. Causes an all-night east wind to drive back the water. God provides the way. Job, in Job chapter 38, is questioning God, and God says to Job himself, who shut the sea in with its doors? I made the sea. I can move it. I can do whatever I want with it. It is mine. Who shut in the sea? Verse 11 of chapter 38, I said to the waves, here shall your waves be stayed. In Psalm 93, verse 4, this is a song written a few years ago by a contemporary artist. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Psalm 135, verse 7, the Lord brings the wind from its storehouses. When that water divided, God himself was exerting his power and it was no exertion whatsoever for him to divide the water, to build it up like a wall, to create dry land. Nothing stands between God and the salvation of his people. He will, he has exercised all that is necessary. He doesn't just remove obstacles though. He doesn't just provide the way. He protects the way. This is what God does for his people. He provides a way for us to get to him, and he leads us to him. Where are they going? They're going to the mountain to worship and serve the Lord. And God is proclaiming the way. It's this way through the sea, through the waters, on dry ground. He provides the way. Well, there it is. But then he also protects the way. Verse 23, God, again, as we've seen over and over through Exodus, giving Pharaoh over to the evil desire of his heart, Pharaoh pursuing the Israelites into the water, causing them to follow down in. And look what happens. Our amazing commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, caused a panic and brought confusion. In the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels. God protects, brings panic, brings confusion. Israel's on dry ground. What's the rationale? If it's dry for them, it's be dry for us. And off they go. And what happens? Like, what was it as soon as they hit it? No, I don't think so. They got a little bit in there. Why? Because it says all those that pursued Israel down into the sea. They got a certain distance in there. And then, uh-oh, here comes the seeping of the water back into the soil. And man, if you've ever tried to unstick yourself from a sticky situation in mud, it just doesn't go well. And then you got horses on top of it. Like, four-wheel drive is one thing, but you got horses. And you got wheels. And just everything, mud flinging everywhere. And all of a sudden, it's just a disaster. And you all know it. This is Byron. We've been some people stuck in mud before. God throwing them into confusion. They're trying to get out and everything's getting slippery. They're yelling there. Ah, and the water is up here and the Israelites are out there. And Pharaoh's like, get after them. And they're stuck. God perfectly trapping his enemy. Oh my goodness. What a foretaste. I don't know if you read Revelation, like Revelation and this, they're so right. Like, our enemy, oh man, our enemy, so our enemy. God is leading his enemy to destruction. Your enemy. Your enemy is bound for destruction. 
God protects the way. This is what God does. This is what God does. He is in the business of frustrating the plans of the wicked. Here he does it with Pharaoh and with Egypt. They go down and they're trapped. You can read about God doing this with Gideon and the Midianites. How many young kids in here remember the story of Gideon from a couple weeks ago? If you're 10 and under and you remember the story of Gideon, raise your hand. If you're in this room and you remember the story of Gideon, raise your hand. And what does the people with Gideon say? Uh, sword. For the Lord and for Gideon. Okay, we'll teach it again next week. That's fine. Gideon and, Gideon and the Midianites, they've got lights under pots and swords. And Gideon's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to smash the pots. We're going to say a sword for the Lord. And all of a sudden, these 300 men surround an army that the Bible says I think is like 120,000 men. And all they're doing is going, a sword for the Lord. And what does it say? The Bible says he threw the Midianites into confusion. They come running out of their tents. They start killing each other. God did that. God threw them into confusion. You can read about it with Jehoshaphat the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Meunites in 1 Chronicles, throws them into utter confusion. You can read about it. God frustrating the plans of the wicked with Nehemiah and Sanballat. Nehemiah literally recording when they heard that their plan had been frustrated, they gave up. God frustrating the plan of the wicked. You can read about it with Esther and Haman. Haman is doing so much to eradicate the people of God because he hates the people of God that all of a sudden he ends up on his own gallows hung because God caused confusion to the plans of the wicked. You can read about it with those three Hebrew boys that Nebuchadnezzar throws into the fire. God frustrating the plans of the wicked. I don't know how many of you came in here today thinking, gosh, wickedness is just out of control in the world today. It's just coming down on us. Do you know what's happening to the plans of the wicked? They are being frustrated. They have no power. They're working themselves into an end. Simply, God is in the business of frustrating the plans of the wicked. God's plan is the only plan that will endure. The protection of the Lord. The protection of the Lord. Look what happens here. 22. The people of Israel went in the midst of the sea on dry ground. And they passed through. God protecting his people. Verse 24. In the morning watch, the Lord looked down out of the fire of the cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw them into a panic. Verse 25. Clogging their wheels. So they, dro they drove heavy. Do you know what just happened? Verse 24 to verse 25. The protection of God over his people for salvation blended right into and became the judgment and destruction of God on his enemies. Do you understand that as we journey through this life under the protection of God, that the protection of God on us for salvation, listen, being saved, we're not there yet, we're on our way. The protection of God is going to turn into the judgment of God on his enemies. And they know it. Once a scourge to the people of Israel, look what happens in verse 25. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel. We already sent them out. We came after them. Look what they say. For the Lord fights for them. God, a warrior, warring on behalf of his people. No real war for God. No real exertion of his power. Always having all power. Us looking around saying, wow, what it must have taken, what it must be taking for God to do this. He's never been diminishing in his power. The Bible teaches us that God is omnipotent. 
knee potent. All power, never diminishing, never needing a refuel, never wearing out, not one single time ever protecting his people. He's provided a way. He's proclaimed a way. He's protecting the way. This is what God does. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 29 tells us that the Israelites passed through on dry ground. By faith, the people crossed as on dry land. And it says, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. This is what God does for his people. He clears the way for his people to get to him and to worship him. I've opened the way. I'm leading the way. I will bring you to me to worship me. I'm leading you out of Egypt to serve me. When we gather together next, Lord willing, over Exodus, we'll be in the 15th chapter and we will be discussing how God leads us out of our bondage to a place of worship. Until then, thus the Lord saved Israel. Into the water they go. Moses, stretch out your hand, and the sea comes crashing back down. Man, in the fervor and their, their angst, their hatred, their hardness of heart, the Egyptians pursue Israel, and they are crushed. Their hardness of heart led them to their destruction. Don't you think somebody would have got a clue the first wheel that started to get bound up? We don't know how many. We don't know if it was, it says all the horsemen and chariots that followed into, maybe it wasn't all of them, but all of them that went in there, they didn't get out. They were trapped. They were destroyed. As you read the book of Revelation, which I know is intimidating for me to do, people are going to operate in such a hardness of heart to the very end of time that their hardness of heart is going to walk them right into their destruction. They're not going to repent. Oh, they'll repent when it starts getting bad. No, the worse it gets, the harder the hearts will become. The Lord saved Israel that day, and Israel saw and believed. I want to remind us, 400 years prior in Genesis chapter 15, God told Abraham, your people, your offspring, will be slaves in a country for 400 years, but I will lead them out. Here we are. They're being led out. I will bring judgment on the land that oppresses them. Genesis chapter 50, verse 25, before Joseph dies, he tells his brothers, God will surely visit you, and when he does, you will carry my bones up from here. You're not going to stay. You'll be led out. In Exodus chapter 2, the Hebrew people call out to God for rescue. Would someone rescue us from this burden, from this bondage? We can do nothing. God hears them, and in Exodus 3, he sends Moses to them. God promised to do precisely what has just happened in Exodus chapter 14. I will save you. I will deliver you. I will bring you to myself. Now as they see the dead Egyptian army on the shores of the sea, God has saved his people. Sadly, or not, depending I guess on your perspective, this is not the final installment of this type of a pattern. In the book of Exodus, Moses will tell us about these people, these people that he led through on dry ground. He will tell us they made a calf out of gold and began worshiping it. His very own people that watched this happen. It's going to repeat itself 
at the foot of the mountain of God where God meets with his people, they rebel against the love and the grace and the mercy and the power of God. Having watched everything that he did, rebellion still creeps into them and out of them. This pattern is going to repeat itself until it is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ leading his people out of this wilderness journey and into his eternal promised land. What a day that will be when my face I shall see, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. God's going to do that for this people. The pattern of rebellion is going to persist And the pattern of God loving and redeeming and dwelling and delivering his people is also going to persist. Someone's asking, Pastor, what does this mean for me today? What what does this mean? You made the statement about, I hope your faith becomes greater without seeing because of those that saw. What does this mean for me today? You can write this down for one. God has promised deliverance. God has promised deliverance. He's faithful. He has proclaimed the way. He's provided the way. He protects the way. No matter who you are in this room, that is the truth of God. No matter what you think or believe, that is the truth of God. He's proclaimed the way. He's provided the way. He protects the way, and God delivers. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ through faith for the forgiveness of sin and deliverance from bondage, do it today. Don't wait. Do it now. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, 11, and 13, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here you are with a warning in front of you. Call out on the name of the Lord. God, forgive me. God, save me. Will anybody do anything at all? The Egyptians were hundreds of years trapped in Egypt. And here they are finally delivered after a long journey of watching God's power over and over. If you have not called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him, repented of sin, given yourself over to a life lived after his word, do it today. If I say all that and you're like, I don't know what you mean, come and talk to me. Don't walk out of either of the doors all around us confused about calling out on the name of the Lord. Call out on God today and be saved. If you're here and you have trusted Christ through faith, many of you, amen. Praise God for the faithful around us. Because of what God has done for his people throughout all time, you can have every confidence that God will do for you precisely as he has said. You will not be put to shame. You will not be forsaken. You will not be neglected. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we know that God delivers from bondage. God leads through the wilderness. God will bring you to the sea. God will part the water for you to get to him and worship him. There's not a single reason to doubt or be ashamed of the salvation that you receive through faith. Did you pay attention to those verses that were read for us in John? Did you see what Timothy, called the twin, said about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Unless I see it, I will never believe. I've got nothing to show you this morning except the pages of God's word. And I call on you to believe it. Submit to it. God calls everyone, commands, repent, believe in the name of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you here today, you have no reason to ever doubt God's goodness to you. 
perhaps in your own life, my own life, our church. Man, it's been a rough trek through the wilderness lately, hasn't it? Any of you have, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the only one. The wilderness is lonely and awful, and it's really hard walking through it, and maybe you don't have any idea what it's like to just feel all alone. But trying to slog through this wilderness of life is hard. And how many times do we come up against something in our life where we, just like the Israelites, feel like we are trapped against the Red Sea, and here comes Pharaoh's army. I'm afraid. I'm lamenting. I'm thankless. I'm despairing. I'm tempted to forget God. Tempted to forget God. Blessed, Jesus said, are those who believe without seeing. They saw it so that we could remember God always. No matter how hard the wilderness journey may get, no matter how quickly the army of Pharaoh may be pursuing us, no matter how impossible the roadblock ahead may be, God has promised to deliver his people. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we, gathered Christians, are and are a part of the household of faith, the church of the living God, and he will not fail or forsake his people. Do you understand? Jesus Christ is the dividing of the water. Jesus Christ is the dry ground through which we pass through the stormy sea. Jesus Christ is the shore on the other side where we will see our enemy defeated and we will glorify God. Father, may we be a people that believe because you have spoken. May we be a people who do not need to depend and rely on our sight. May we see what you have done forever and always for your people. May we trust, may we lean on, may we know and have confidence in that you will do all that you have said you will do because you are faithful even when we are faithless. Oh God, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to believe and to be strong in our belief through faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.